God, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would just impact us deeply tonight and that, we, that you would be glorified through it. So speak to us now. Help us to listen uh, attentively and expectantly to be looking for you to speak to our hearts. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so tonight we're going to knock out the books of Second John, Third John, and Jude. Uh, they're all very short, so it's uh, word for word, much less material than we've covered in other Wednesday nights. Um, and then next week, we are going to overview the book of Revelation, and we will have, at that point, overviewed the entire Bible in one year. And I've said it before, I'll probably say it again, uh, overview is a good word for it, because we're not unpacking it fully. We are uh, hopefully kind of just whetting our appetites, right? Uh, getting a awareness of, oh, here's how the whole thing ties together. Here's how the whole thing relates to each other. Here's some of the big points in the word, the big messages we need to be watching for. And now as we're diving into it more more carefully and in more detail on our own, there are things that we're hopefully going to be just better prepared to to look for, better aware of what the Lord might want to say to us through a specific passage. So, uh, so I'm excited. Next year, if you want to get in on the inside scoop, uh, we've been praying about it. I think what we're going to do is basically go through the epistles in one year. Um, so there's about you know, the letters that Paul, Peter, James, John wrote to the churches. Uh, I mean, the whole scripture is immensely relevant for our lives today. We've tried to hammer that at this church. We'll keep trying to hammer it. Um, but there are specific parts of the Bible that are specifically written for believers in Jesus Christ who are on earth after Jesus has gone back to heaven and before he comes back the second time. And that includes us. And so there are letters that are specifically written to believers in that place and time, and those are the epistles. Those are the letters to the church. And so there's about 113 chapters of those, and so we'll do about two to three a week, probably. And, uh, you know, we'll still be moving at a little bit over your pace, but hopefully be able to go a little bit more in depth on some of that, just how it is the how does what the Bible have to say about being a Christian impact my life? How should that drive what I do and not just my understanding of the gospel, of Jesus Christ, of grace, of my relationship with other believers? Um, so I'm incredibly excited about that. We're going to uh, dive in Romans 1 and 2, first Wednesday of the new year. So um, it's going to be awesome. But tonight we find ourselves in these three little books in the New Testament. Some people call them the postcards of the New Testament because they could actually be written on, you know, like one nice small little scroll, and so they could get handed around as a, as a single item, and, and they're short. They're to the point, and so there's not a lot of wasted time in them. There's, okay, there's never wasted time in the scriptures, but uh, these letters are just short, blunt, full of application. So let's do this. We're going to read through all of Second John and then unpack it read through all of 3 John, unpack it a little bit, you get the idea. The second letter of John starts out, and I would say chapter 1, but there's only one chapter, so it's a little bit of a moot point. Starts out, chapter 1, verse 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. 
I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now, I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. It's the whole letter. So he starts out and says, the elder to the chosen lady. At this point, this book is written later in church history. This is towards the end of John's life. Um, church history says that John and Jude were the last two eyewitnesses of Jesus's earthly ministry. And so, you know, John at this point, he's got a nickname. He's the old guy, right? The elder is writing a letter. Sometimes you get a nickname, you just, it's easier to stick with it than fight it. So to the chosen lady and her children, some people think this is an actual lady. Some people think it's symbolic of the church or maybe a specific church. Really doesn't matter because he's either writing to a lady in the church about the church and, or he's writing to the church. And the application for us is the same. But notice in the first four verses, the emphasis on truth. John has got a huge thing with truth. He says, okay, I love you in truth, and not just me, but everyone who knows the truth for the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth. John's writing to this, this person or this church, and he's saying, look, I love you in the truth because of the truth that's in you, because of the truth that's in me, because of the truth of the gospel. Love for one another in a biblical context only is ever birthed out of truth. If it's not birthed out of truth, it's not love, right? It might be being nice, it might be trying to do whatever, but it's not truth, and therefore it's not real love. And so whenever we want to, you know, I want to love someone as God would want me to love them, well, then what do we have to do? We have to go back to truth. We got to always be going back to, okay, so wait a second. If I'm going to love this person appropriately, I need to have a correct understanding of who God is, who I am, who they are. And when, when people offend us or maybe aren't as easy to love naturally, then we still go back to the truth, right? Who is God? Who am I? What has God done for me? And how does that impact my relationship with this person? And so there's, a, there's just always going back in our relationship with the Lord. It always comes back around truth. Christianity is not about your feelings. God did not come to save you so that you could have lots of feelings. He came to save you so that you could know the truth. And so that's where John is starting. He says, and I love John's just got this very humble attitude. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, right? This isn't, uh, you know, you need grace and peace and you need mercy. He says, hey, God's going to give this to both of us. Because John at this point is probably one of the most respected men in the church. He still to this day is one of the most respected men in all of church history, right? And what does he need? Grace, mercy, and peace in truth. What do we need? 
grace, mercy, and peace in truth. And, and then he's just he's saying, I'm, I was glad to find that your children are walking in truth. There's a joy in seeing young believers grow into mature believers. And John's just expressing that. He says, now, verse 5, I'm asking you, lady, not as though I'm writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. We talked about this a lot last week, right? John says, hey, this is really, uh, this is not like new. This is fairly old. Love God, do what he says, okay? But it needs to be fresh in the sense of it shouldn't be a dead commandment in our hearts. So it, in a sense, it's a very old commandment. In a sense, it's a very new commandment because right now I need to love the person right in front of me. I don't need to know facts about what I need to do to love someone. I need to make a choice to love a person who's physically in front of me, who I am really not in the mood to love. And so he says, you know, this isn't something new. It's kind of old. Love one another. And verse 6, this is love. So we need, if we, love gets thrown around all the time by people who mean wildly different things. So if we're going to love one another the way God wants us to, well, then we need to know what that looks like. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Okay. You love someone by loving them in accordance with the word of God, right? If you have to step outside of what the word of God says in order to express love, what you're expressing is not love. It might be making you feel more comfortable. It might be making the other person feel more comfortable, but it's not love at that point. The, the command from God is, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if, so if we're going to love anyone else, it's rooted in the commands of Scripture. And then he goes on in verse 7, <clears throat> really verse 7 through 11, He's going to talk about just beware of false teachers. And they're going to come out into the world and, and specifically, sort of at this time as John is writing it, you have to remember that, um, you know, the Bible is, is being written. The New Testament's being written and the church wouldn't officially settle on the canon of Scripture for a little while. I mean, it happened pretty quickly after, uh, after Jesus resurrected and went back and the church had its uh, birth, but there's still, you know, there was never, because of, we didn't have the printing press at this time, uh, it was never like, here's the Bible. It was, hey, I have a scroll written by the Apostle Paul that I just, you know, I came from Jerusalem to wherever, and I thought I would share it with you guys. And so you would have these men going around carrying parts of the scripture to different churches and encouraging them. You would also have these false teachers carrying around books that they wrote and signed, love Paul, and said, hey, I have a letter from Paul that I thought you guys might find interesting, right? And it says, uh, if you love God, you'll give me your money. And, and there were these false teachers rising up. And so there's a little bit of a question of, well, how do we determine? And so John gives some basic ideas. Um, anyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So if someone ever comes to you and wants to offer you a new doctrine or a new theology or a new idea that is not rooted in the teachings of Christ, chuck the idea, right? Be nice to the person, but chuck the idea. And then he says, don't support them. And especially in this context, the church was providing hospitality, taking these people in, you know, because these guys were traveling all over the world. And so you wanted to take in these teachers, you know, especially the ones who were teaching biblically. You wanted to take them in, encourage them, feed them, nourish them, send them out with a blessing. And he's saying, hey, that's great if they're real believers and if they're real teachers. You don't need to donate your money to a false prophet's cause, right? You don't need to 
throw a little bit in the, his plate just to make yourself feel less manipulated. So he's, he's saying, you know, hey, don't worry. Don't receive him into your house. Don't give him a greeting. And the idea is not that you need to be rude to any person who doesn't believe in the teachings of Christ. The idea is you need to not be uh, culpable in spreading their false teaching, right? You need to not be helping bad doctrine carry out. And then verse 12, he says, I have many things to write to you. Sorry. But I don't want to do so with paper and ink. I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that our joy may be full. And it's just an interesting comment. He'll say it again in 3 John. But um, the way in which we communicate impacts what we can communicate. Okay? And this is just, sometimes it's just helpful to kind of pause and reflect on this. I always think of, I heard somebody say once, you'll never hear a ventriloquist on the radio. Right? It's it just, there's, there's, you can't do it. There's no point to having a ventriloquist on the radio because you have to be able to see a ventriloquist. And so how you communicate impacts what you communicate. And so just bear that in mind. You know, we live in a digital age where there's a lot of slick, great ways to communicate, but they may not be the best way to actually communicate what we want to say. And so he says, hey, look, I could write more in this letter, but I want to see you face to face right? Now, God delivered us his word in written format, and so we should receive it in written format and believe that God knows what he's doing when he delivers it, and we should abide by the word of God. In our interactions with each other, we want to make sure that we're living in, a, in the real present world with real people, right? It's, it's possible to have a, a fake life right now that's totally devoid of any actual human interaction, you have people who, you know, I mean, you can have friends all over the world, and that's not bad, but if you've never met them, are they really friends? And so John's just saying, hey, look, I want to have a real relationship with you guys. We're talking about truth. We're talking about the commandments of God. These shouldn't be hypotheticals. These should be things that we're experiencing and living out with other believers. So we kick over now to Third John. Um, he's going to say, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God." For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church." Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So John, it's a very similar letter. He's wanting to encourage another believer in another place. And so he's going to really kind of 
just go through some of the same points. So this one, he's writing to Gaius, and he's going to reference two other guys. We'll get to them in a minute. But he says, Gaius, he's just, you know, hey, I want to just give you a blessing. I pray that you would be in as good health physically as you are spiritually. And sometimes we forget that, you know, we, we get so grounded in our current physical reality, we forget that this is actually the lame side of eternity, right? If you're a, if you're a Christian, this is the closest to hell you will ever get. And so life is hard. Don't, don't mistake me. Life, is, life can be really hard. But understand, this is the absolute worst it gets if you believe in Jesus Christ. This is the closest to hell you'll ever come. On the flip side, if you don't believe in the Lord, this is the closest to heaven you'll ever get. And so sometimes you can see wicked people living what looks like awesome lives. And honestly, it's the grace of God just you know, extending mercy, extending a little more blessing, reminding them of, of his gifts and his presence and just, you know, offering that out. And so life is hard, but John's just saying, hey, I'm praying that you in this current state are as blessed as your spiritual state is right now because you are holy in the eyes of God. You're saved, you're delivered, you're being sanctified because God is doing a work in your life. He says, you're acting faithfully, verse five, in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. So kind of the, the flip side of Second John. In Second John, he warns the lady. He says, hey, don't give all kinds of hospitality and, and generosity to false teachers. And to Gaius, he says, hey, you're doing an awesome job giving hospitality and generosity to real teachers. And so it's just, it's just a corollary there. He says, verse 9, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. This guy... Diotrephes, we really don't know anything about him except what's written right here. But there's a lot, there's a mouthful in here. So we know we have a guy's name. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't know who he was married to. We don't know what his background was. But we know this. He loves to be first among the church. He doesn't accept the teachings of John. He unjustly accuses John with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he doesn't receive the traveling teachers. He's not going to bless them, and he forbids the people in the church who want to do so. And he puts those people, he's kicking people out of the church for being generous to Bible teachers, which is kind of an awkward way to go about building a healthy church. Um, but, so, John's just saying, hey, look, you know, I know you've probably, you know, at this point, Gaius has probably raised this issue with John. John says, hey, I'm on my way. I'm going to deal with it when I get there. But, you know, sometimes these people are in the church sometimes. And uh, in the book of James, James 3.16, James says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. If you're ever in a situation where there's like, man, this is confusing, this is just not making any sense, I just feel like there's some sort of weird, you know, like this is not right, Sometimes you just back up and say, is there envy and self-seeking going on? Is there selfish ambition in this picture? And if there is, then that's really all the explanation you need. And he'll, James goes on and says, but the wisdom that's from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. And so just we get this little contrast lived out in the book of 3 John. Diotrephes, got to keep looking at his name. Diotrephes has got envy and selfish ambition. Gaius has got the wisdom that's from above, and John's just saying, hey, that's awesome, keep going, right? And then 
Beloved, verse 11, don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who's good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. This is the same message that John carries through First and Second John, right? If you love God, keep his commandments. Do the good that God has called us to do. He says, and then just another exhortation, Demetrius, another guy in the church, has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, and we're adding our testimony. John says, look, everybody knows that Demetrius is doing what's right here, and I second that. And he's just encouraging Gaius and Demetrius, hey, you guys are, you're doing great. Keep going, right? Stay, stay steady, keep fighting the fight. And then again, he says, I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and we'll speak face to face. So John felt the need to write it twice. Maybe we should consider that, right? And, and <clears throat> don't get me wrong. The world of digital communication is a great gift, right? Sometimes God can lay somebody in your heart and you can text them and say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you today. Uh, if you need anything, let me know, right? Sometimes you can reach out in situations where maybe you really aren't welcome to be there in person. And sometimes there are, there are opportunities that you can have to text somebody or call somebody on the phone or email somebody or however you want to message somebody, right? But those are never going to be a full replacement for having an actual face-to-face interaction. Those can be encouraging. Those can be, you know, prompts from the Holy Spirit. So I'm not selling any of those short. But if you really want to sort out what's going on in this person's life and how can I seriously be praying for them or how can I seriously help take them to the word of God, you're not going to do that in text message, right? You're going to do it face to face. And then he says, peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. May the peace of God be yours. Everybody says, hey, right? We're, we're separated, but we still got the peace of God. And so now we kick over to Jude. Jude is just an awesome book of the Bible. The book of Jude is, uh, I just, I love it to death. Um, but Jude is writing, he's going to say, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, the James he's referencing is the James who wrote the book of James. And that's not the disciple James. Uh, we have in, in, you know, in the Gospels, there's Peter, James, and John. That James died very early in the history of the church. He was the first disciple of the 12 to be martyred. And so Jesus' brother James became the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, uh, had a, just a major role in the, in the founding of the early church. And so Jude is a brother of James. Well, James was the half-brother of Christ. And so Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. And you've got to appreciate the humility of a guy who says, hey, I'm, I'm the servant of Jesus, and I'm the brother of James, right? And, you know, I mean, I don't know. If I was related to God in a physical way, I think you'd probably find out about it, right? Like in the first uh, like 30 seconds of meeting me, right? Like, hi, I'm Nate. Uh, yeah, no, I do this for a living. I'm actually, well, it's because, I mean, I'm, I'm God's half-brother. Uh, so that's why. I just thought I'd get that out of the way to help, you know, make friends easier. Um, Jude's just got a, a great humility about him of, hey, I'm just a servant of Christ. And I'm, he's, you know, I'm the brother of James. He is giving us some authority. He's not just making up this book as a guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. There is a little bit of, a, of credence here to say, hey, I am the brother of James. I do have some background in the church, but I'm a servant of Christ. Before I lay claim to any kind of title or anything else, I'm the servant of Christ. So that's where we're just kind of like Jude starts. Now, Jude is a book, and I want us to 
sort of think about this. Jude is really the New Testament parallel to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Jude is the second to last book of the New Testament. And their messages are really almost identical. Um, Malachi is all about, hey, your king is coming, so you need to live like your king is coming. And you flip the page, and what's the next book? Matthew. And Matthew, specifically of the four Gospels, is making the case that Jesus is the king. He's the one who has the rightful authority to reign as the king supreme over all of Israel and over all of the earth, right? So Malachi is, hey, your king is coming. Watch for him. You flip the page and you have the gospel of Matthew. Jude is going to give us really the same thing. He's going to say, hey, the king is coming. Watch for him. We're going to flip the page and read about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I think it's just helpful um, if you bear that in mind, a lot of the parallels are very similar. Malachi and Jude tie very closely together. And so I think the heart of both of them is relevant. Um, so Jude's going to say in verse 1, To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of like the great paragraphs of Scripture. Jude says, okay, listen guys, I wanted to write a book to you about our common salvation. I wanted to write you this awesome letter about how you're a believer, I'm a believer, and we get to experience the grace of God and the fellowship of God. You know, I wanted to write Ephesians part two or Colossians part two, right? I wanted just one of these, one of these just incredibly encouraging books, but I felt the necessity as I sat down to write. So Jude's telling us, and if, and if you ever had a chance to be at a conference or something else where somebody stands up and says, hey, I had this prepared, but I think the Lord's telling me to say this. There's, there's a really just excitement of getting to watch somebody who's got a relationship with the Lord where they can say, hey, I had a plan of what I wanted to say and how I wanted to encourage you. But I think the Lord wants to steer this ship in a different direction, and so we're going to go that way. And so that's what Jude is saying. He's saying, okay, look, I wanted to write about our common salvation and just, you know, reflect on all of that. But I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. If you want to sum up the book of Jude, it's in two words. Contend earnestly. Jude is going to give us this book. He's going to say, all right, listen, false teachers are going to come. You're going to need to have a present, active relationship with the Lord. You're not going to be able to rest on what God has done in the past. You're not going to be able to rest on what you've done in the past. You're going to need a present tense God in your life. And so you need to contend earnestly. And this is just one of those passages, okay, again, going back to, you know, the parallels with Malachi, why do we need to contend earnestly? And he'll explain it, but, but you can sort of just like read it and say, okay, great, whatever, what's the point? The point is Jude wants us to come back around to remembering who it's all about. And we'll, at the end of the book, he, gets, he get, just gives us a lot more of this. He's going to just start declaring who God is. 
He's going to remind us. Uh, we'll read it now and we'll probably read it again. He's going to say, Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. That's the God that Jude is writing about. That's the God that Jude could say, hey, I'm half-brother to, but instead he says, I'm the servant of. And so, so this is important to Jude. This is important enough that Jude switched gears and said, okay, I need to write about a specific topic for the church, and the church needs to be exhorted to contend earnestly. And if you go back to Malachites, it's the same idea, where God's going to say, hey, you guys keep saying I'm not loving you. Back up a second. You guys are selling me short every chance you get. You're ripping me off. And you forget, Malachi says, it's one of my favorite lines in Malachi. He says, I am a great king, says the Lord. I'm not the spirit man. I'm not the man upstairs, right? I'm not father nature or whatever. I'm not, I'm not any of this stuff. I'm a great king. And when you are coming to me with these three-legged and blind sacrifices, you're having the audacity, you really, you're having the audacity to wonder why I'm not happy with them. Because you are, you are willfully deceiving yourselves about who I really am. And so when we get to a passage like this, uh, it's important for us to just pause and say, okay, am I contending earnestly for the faith? And this is one of these things where as a teacher, it's really, uh, it's, it's a fine line to tread. Because I never, ever want to say, you know, I've got a, a, something that you guys do that bugs me. And obviously, it's a sign of spiritual maturity. So I'm going to find a Bible verse and explain why you're spiritually immature. There is no grounds for anybody who's standing up and teaching the Word of God to ever say that. Right? The, the Teaching the Word of God is never an opportunity to make people do what you want them to do. In the same vein, sometimes there's a temptation to say, I want to make you feel loved, and I want to make you, you know, know that I like you and I love you and that God loves you, to the point that if the Holy Spirit wants to give some conviction to our hearts, the person talking can drown it out, right? Sometimes we can read a verse, and the Holy Spirit can start to convict us, and the person talking can start explaining, well, why? It's, it's not really as, uh, as blunt as it sounds or as black and white as it sounds, and there's a lot of exemptions and exceptions, and you can, you know, you can start to get that nudge, like, maybe this applies to my life. Nah, probably not, right? And so I want to, hopefully, prayerfully, strike that balance, but I want us to just ask ourselves tonight, are we contending earnestly for the faith? How do we show up to serve God? How do we approach God, right? I mean, and, and uh, yeah, what do, what do we do? Do we live with an awareness of who God really is? Do you believe, do you believe that he's able to keep you from stumbling, Jude verse 24, and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, and with great joy, do you, believe that he, do you believe that he's the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ? Do you believe that glory, majesty, dominion, and authority are his before time began, right now, and forever into the future? If you believe that, 
then just let's back this up in our minds a little bit, okay? And I don't want to, again, I don't want to act like I'm, I'm slamming anything. Simultaneously, I don't want to walk back what the Holy Spirit might want to say. So, is that the God we're worshiping? And if it is, and that God said, hey, great news, I'm going to be at your church on Sunday morning. Awesome. And he says, I'm going to be there at 10 o'clock. What time are you going to show up? Right? And, and, and you know, I don't know. If I had a chance to meet the president or the last president who won that you voted for, right? Um, and he said, hey, I'm going to be speaking here. You've got a VIP pass. Sure, you know, I would probably, I'd, I'd structure my schedule a little bit. I'd kind of figure things out, make sure I had the time to plan things out, and I'd be there because I'd be expecting to have an interaction with a prominent figure, right? God's a prominent figure. He's incredibly prominent. And so when we show up to church, uh, whenever, what we're really demonstrating is a lack of appreciation for who God is. It's, not, it's nothing personal towards people in the church. Don't, don't ever think that that's what it is. It's, it's, hey, God just wanted to meet with me, and I said, yeah, I will once I get around to it. And on the flip side, there's, a, there's another corollary where sometimes we can show up to church on time. We're doing our social game. We've got, you know, interacting with people, but we're mentally just checked out, right? What are we, we're singing songs, whatever. Uh, they're not my style, right? Well, good. We're not worshiping you. We're worshiping God, right? And, and so when we show up in the presence of God, what are we doing? When you show up to the, to the word of God in the morning on your own time, what are you doing, right? I mean, and I do it, you know. You get your coffee, you scratch, you sit down, pop your neck a few times, yawn, hope that there's something that hits you in the first verse or two before you lose attention. We can do that. We can just get to this point of, you know what? Be, the, the faithfulness of God can breed familiarity in our hearts. And so my exhortation to all of us, and, and very much to myself included, is are we contending earnestly for the faith? Are we demonstrating by the way we live our life that we understand who the God is that we're claiming to serve? Right? Have we been in his presence enough to experience his holiness enough to want to fellowship with him? And sometimes... Fellowship with God can be a discipline. Something you just got to, you know, you do it, and it's not necessarily about, oh, I had a great feeling, or I got a, you know, this huge, brilliant theological insight. Sometimes it's, I'm doing it for the discipline of teaching myself that there are more important things in life, like having a relationship with the Lord. But that also prepares our hearts for those times when God really wants to blow our minds with who he is. And so are we contending earnestly for the faith. And Jude then goes on, verses, well, really verse 5 through 16, basically he's going to say, hey, look, the good things that God did in the past, those are great, but they're in the past. They're not an excuse now for inaction, right? Have you, and, and if you've been a Christian for, any, for a long period of time, you've met people like this, right? I remember what God did back in 1996 in my life, 
It was phenomenal. That's great. Well, what's he done in the 26 years since then? Well, I remember what God did back in 1996 in my life, and it was phenomenal, right? There are, there are people who are just stuck at a specific date or at a specific church or at a specific friendship that ended years ago. And Jude says, hey, that's great, but that's really beside the point. Those are wonderful testimonies of the faithfulness of God, but are we going right now? Are you actively involved in a relationship with God? What God has done in the past is not going to keep you walking in the will of God. And then he just says, he kind of goes on and tries and makes a couple other points about just watching out for people who will try to steer you that way. Um, you know, verse four, he says, there's people who have crept in who are gonna turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're gonna be people who come into the church who are gonna say, no, no, the grace of God means you can do whatever you want. The grace of God means God, you can, you can, you know, you can do whatever you want regardless of whether or not you're married to that person. You can take whatever substance you want because God just has so much grace and love for you. And Jude says, that ain't contending earnestly, right? So he says, watch out for false teachers. And then uh, verse 17, and we really, we've got to park here because if you, if you just read contend earnestly, then it can turn into this man's work trip of, well, am I working hard enough to know God? Am I, you know, am I sweating it out for God? Am I fighting hard enough to meet my deadlines? And he says, and that's not the point. The point is, are we aware of who God is and is that driving our response? Verse 17, he says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were saying to you, in in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. That's what false teachers are. They're divisive, they're worldly, and they are lacking in the Spirit of God. But you, verse 20, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 21, you gotta you see this part, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. You, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, here's the thing. Can you change the extent to which God loves you? You can't. While we were sinners, Paul says, Christ died for us. When you hated God... God loved you to the fullest measure of devotion. He loved you enough while you hated him that he died for you. So he's not going to love you anymore if you do any good things, right? But what's Jude saying? He's saying, keep yourself in the love of God. You cannot impact how much God loves you. You can have a very direct impact on how able you are to experience and be aware of the love of God. You can put yourself in a position where you are not going to feel the love of God. You are not going to, you're going to, you know, you can walk in the desert and wonder why you're thirsty, right? And he's saying you can keep yourself in the love of God. Contending earnestly for the faith is not about I need to make something happen so that God will like me. It's I want to be zeroed in so that I am at the place where I am most aware of most able to experience the love that God has for me. Because that's the love that let God bottle up his glory into a single cell embryo, right? 
God reduced his divinity into a human being. And that love is still present, it's still active, it's still, it's still relevant to our lives today. And we can impact our ability to experience it. So Jesus is saying, hey, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then as he gives this quick exhortation, says have mercy on some people. Some people are, you know, we're all growing. We are not all arrived at our final destination, which means we still have rough edges that we are sanding off. And sometimes our rough edges scratch other people. So have mercy. Um, save others, snatching them out of the fire. People are stumbling in sin. Pull them out. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Hey, be a, you know, be a means of helping deliver people from sin, but be careful that you're not caught up in sin yourself. Verse 24, Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. To God be the glory. God, a God who can do all these things doesn't need us to contend for him. We contend because of him, right? That's what we're doing. And remember, remember, Jude's corollary is Malachi. Malachi, we flip the page, and what do we have? We have the coming of Jesus Christ. Jude, we flip the page, what do we have? We've got the book of Revelation. We've got the coming of Jesus Christ. This book is written to us who are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And as we're waiting, yes, we want to contend earnestly, but we want to keep ourselves in the love of God. Second and third John, the love of God is rooted in the truth of God, right? So the truth of who God is is what we want to stay in. So what is, who is God? What is the truth about God? He's able to keep us from stumbling. That's the truth about God. He's able to make us stand in the presence of his glory. You're not going to get there on your own, right? He can purify you to the level that you can stand in the presence of his glory. Not just stand there, but stand there blameless with great joy. Some people will stand in the presence of God's glory in terror because they will realize, I have defied this glory, and now it will consume me. We can stand there with joy. He's our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. So to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. To that God, the God that we serve, the God that Jude said, I'm a bondservant of, to him be the glory in the past. All of it. The glory right now in the present, all of it. And the glory in the future, all of it. That's a God we should keep ourselves in the love of, right? That's a God who should drive us to contend earnestly for the faith. Not for God, not because he needs us, but because of God. So, the love of God, the truth of God, the commands of God, right? That's what we've got. Second, third John. Jude, contend earnestly for the faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty. Right? He gets it all. He's the source of it all. He's the one we should be doing it all for. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, as, as we are, uh, just that, 
that generation of the church that's between when you went to heaven and when you're coming back. We do want to be found ready and waiting. We want to be eagerly looking forward for your return. So we pray that you would uh, help us to remember who you are, to not lose sight of that. We pray that you would help us to contend earnestly for the faith, to keep ourselves in the love of God. We want to respond well to what you've done. So I pray that that would drive us, that that would impact our hearts and our lives, and that we would go out filled with the power of your Spirit and all the power of your Word, and that we would love you and keep ourselves in the love that you've offered us. So have your way with us. Go before us, God. Guide us and lead us for your glory and in your name. Amen.